The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. Sparkle, baby. Let's make make it sparkle. Sparkle, Neely. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret history and little-known facts behind your favorite music, movies, TV shows, and more. We are your two stepbrothers of study. My name's Jordan Runtog. No. Do that again. <laughs> Write something better and come back to me. I'm Alex Heigl. And today we are talking about what's perhaps the most twisted of anything that came out of the 90s teen movie boom. A movie about deception, seduction, borderline incest, and cocaine stuffed in a crucifix. We can only be talking, of course, about cruel intentions. Mm. For those of you not familiar with the plot, it centers around a pair of obscenely rich Upper East Side teens, the icy and sociopathic Catherine Murtule played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, and her equally ruthless stepbrother, Sebastian Valmont. And to pass the time one summer, these step-siblings decide to set a little wager. Can Sebastian bed the headmaster's daughter? If he fails, Sebastian has to give Catherine his beloved vintage Jaguar. If he succeeds, Catherine will give him what he's always wanted since their parents got married. That's right, Heigl, let's tell him what he's won. He gets to put it wherever he wants. With right? his stepsister, yes, that's With correct. With his stepsister. Yes. Truly reads like an O. Henry short story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to the O. Henry estate. Uh, yeah, we were talking earlier, and I said that I feel like this episode will provide an unsettling insight into both of our psychological makeup, to which you very sweetly responded by saying, oh, we're way past that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just love Sarah Michelle Gellar in this. I, uh, the older I get, the more I realize I sort of love evil. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a counterbalance to my own personality. I, I don't know why. I, I basically feel like I'm drawn to two general archetypes: the sweet Winnie Cooper from the Wonder Years types, and Sarah Michelle Gellar in Cruel Intentions, a woman who wouldn't hesitate to step on my neck in her stilettos. So mm. I don't know. Anyway, what do you think about this movie, Heigl? That's enough about me. Oh, it's a great film. I mean, it's just so tightly constructed, yeah. and, and everybody is playing their respective archetypes yeah. perfectly yeah. the writing is really sharp it's got a great look yeah man it just 
it's a perfect little gem of a movie and it, it is so mean and nasty and frankly it's like i don't really love watching like the tales of the idle rich like it just <laughs> usually infuriates yeah, me but would, like yeah. this is kind of what i actually think they're up to yeah <laughs> this just like confirms people, your worst like, suspicions yeah and so for that reason i'm like yeah yeah okay i'm in i'm in i'm in i'm on board and that's why I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I mean, it, it is so compelling from taboo relationships to the nature of how sex and power is intertwined and the question of personal redemption. You know, it's a rich text. So listen <laughs> on and you'll learn about how Ryan Phillippe threw up on the set, how they got Reese Witherspoon drunk to get her to sign on, and why Katie Holmes got the boot from the cast. You'll also hear how a pornographic actress created a stir on the set how Selma Blair prepped for that famous kissing scene with Sarah Michelle Gellar, and why Ross Gellar from Friends is partially responsible for making this all happen. Plus, we'll talk all about the ill-fated attempts to bring the story to television and why the fake cocaine on the set gave Sarah Michelle Gellar an allergic reaction. So without further ado, here is everything you never knew about Cruel Intentions. writer-director named Roger Cumble to thank for Cruel Intentions. We also have him to thank for the less good 2002 rom-com The Sweetest Thing with Selma Blair, Cameron Diaz, and Christina Applegate, but also the severely underrated Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds and Amy Smart. I don't know, did you like this movie? Maybe it was just underrated to me because when it came out, I was in high school and the whole being friend-zoned with your best friend concept deeply resonated with me. But we owe Roger Cumble Cruel Intentions. Up to this point, his career had been in the theater. Cruel Intentions was his first movie, which is like the director of Grease. That was his first like big budget major movie too. So incredible mm -hmm. first time out for him. And Cruel Intentions, it comes from two key sources. As with all good tales of romantic perversity, we got to take it over to 19th century France. <laughs> the most obvious inspiration for Cruel Intentions is the French novel, Le Liaison Dangereuse. You're... you're that was published by <laughs> who's it published by Heigl who's the I'm, author I'm not even reading that one Pierre Chandeleros de Laclos in 1782 uh, funnily enough Sarah Michelle Geller is a big book collector and reportedly has an antique copy of one of the first printings of Dangerous Liaisons in its original French the plot of this book is similar to the movie we know and love as Cruel Intentions. It follows two exes who seduce others for power and influence. Is there any other reason why you seduce, really? <laughs> <laughs> the book, Dangerously Liaisons, has been adapted into film a number of times over the years. Uh, most notably in 1959, the French director Roger Vadim, later of Barbarella fame, did a version that was set in the modern day. And director Stephen Frears made probably the most famous version in 1988, Dangerous Liaisons, with John Malkovich, Glenn Close, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Uma Thurman, which was later nominated for seven Oscars, winning three. And then just a year later, director Milos Forman, who did One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, very famous director, made the film Valmont with Colin Firth, Annette Bening, Meg Tilly, and Feruza Balk of The Craft and The Waterboy fame. So the source material for the plot of Cruel Intentions has been around for a very long time. You know, Alan Rickman made the role of Valmont famous on uh, London and Broadway. No, that oh, that makes sense though. Wow, he was not even considered for the 1988 movie because he was such an unknown. But 
He ended up starring as Hans Gruber in Die Hard, his first Hollywood role that year. So he he came out okay. Yeah, worked out for him. Good. He deserves it. There were the two competing versions of that. You know, we mentioned... Um, Dangerous Liaisons was 88, and then Valmont was 89, right? Yeah. And so Christopher Hampton directed the play version of, uh, of Valmont, and he said he was supposed to have a meeting with Milos Forman to talk about making this film adaptation uh, after Forman attended several stagings of the play and... Foreman ghosted him, <laughs> so he was, like, I guess not involved in the movie that much. And then um, the studio ended up rushing. They found – it was like the Xanadu thing where they found out that there was a competing Dangerously Asians adaptation being made. So they rushed uh, the Stephen Frears one to the box office and ended up burying the Milos Foreman one. So, Holly Weird. Bad place. And the second and much lesser known influence on Cruel Intentions was a 1995 indie movie called Welcome to the Dollhouse. And it was written and directed by Todd Salance. And it was this extremely, extremely black comedy about a teenager desperately vying for popularity at her school. And it was dark and mean there was a scene i think where the main character like holds a hammer over her little sister's head while she sleeps and then somebody like their neighbor who's a pedophile abducts the young girl and takes her to new york city and it's Dude, this, all of his films are so so dark, dark. Like his, his stock and trade dark and mean and roger cumble absolutely loved it he said he'd never seen <laughs> something set in school that was so dark I guess, I don't know, I'm thinking of Heathers, but this is probably darker than yeah. that. Um, so the fusion of these two ideas, Dangerous Liaisons and an extremely dark high school story, this Welcome to the Dollhouse movie, led to Roger Cumble's big aha moment. The moment when the idea called out and said, take on me, take me on, I'll be gone. Can you do it? <laughs> In a day, I can't. In a day or two. I don't know. That I was his aha moment. Yes. Uh, he <laughs> wanted to fuse the plot of Dangerous Liaisons with a fantastically bitchy high school story. And instead of the aristocracy, it would be wealthy Upper East Side brats at a fancy Manhattan prep school. Roger Vadim's 1959 adaptation had been set in modern day, so Cumble was confident that it could be done. And in a 2014 interview with Cosmo, he said, quote, It was one of those moments when you're just walking across the street and the idea popped into my head to do Dangerous Liaisons set in high school. And I mulled it over for a year. And it was a busy year. Roger Cumble, as I said earlier, had a background in theater. And in 1997, he launched a play called D-Girl, which is short for development girl or a person who goes through movie pitches at a studio. And it's not surprising that this was the mind who created Cruel Intentions because D-Girl is about a screenwriter seducing a younger woman, the titular D-Girl. And to star, they got David Schwimmer, who was at the peak of his world-conquering Friends fame. And Cumble said that casting Schwimmer was a game-changer for me. And when the play was a hit, he started to get attention in industry circles, and he figured that this was his shot at making a movie project. As he later said, I had some heat, and I didn't want to lose it. Literally, the day the play went down, I went to Mexico, and I wrote Cruel Intentions in 12 days. 12 days. Wow. So thank you, Ross Geller. Cumble originally planned to make his directorial movie debut as a tiny indie movie with just a million-dollar budget. Then it got the attention of a producer by the name of Neil Moritz, who was just about to become uh, huge thanks to the success of I Know What You Did Last Summer and its sequel, I Know What You Did Last Summer 2, No Harder, Back in the Habit. <laughs> <laughs> a good day to know what you did last summer. <laughs> I they know, know what you the did secret last of summer. the last summer. <laughs> What else we got? There's gotta be another. There's gotta be another sequel one we can we can get in there. 
I know what you did last summer too. The two towers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he would also do Fast and Furious, Twenty One Jump Street, <laughs> I Am Legend, The Sonic and the Hedgehog movies. So once he signed on to this, things escalated. Cumble was originally considering getting Jonathan Riss Myers to play the part of Sebastian Valmont, but then Moritz was like, "Hey, I just made this movie. I know what you did last summer. Ever heard of it? Sarah Mich- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Phillippe." Why don't you check them out? He knew of Sarah Michelle Gellar mostly through Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he was just not super familiar with Ryan Philby, but he liked him because he had just that kind of Valmont air about him. He is Which perfect. is a nice way of saying he's punchable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sarah Michelle Gellar was pumped to take this role because uh, she was ready for a different kind of movie. Um, she had done the two seasons to date on Buffy, but uh, she had then played back-to-back murder victims. In Scream 2 and I Know What You Did Last Summer. So she was ready to take on something a little bit different and give herself some distance from Buffy. Uh, It was her idea to dye her trademark blonde hair dark, and she strongly resisted any attempts from Cumble to make that character sympathetic. Sarah Michelle Gellar herself grew up on the Upper East Side, so she knew that world and um, brought a lot of nuance to the uh, bitchiness. (laughs) For lack of a better term. Yeah, and she, you know, did have a bit of this in her CV. I mean, she was on the, um, she was on All My Children for a while. She's playing the villainous Kendall. <laughs> so you just know that woman was bad, bad news. <laughs> Apologies to any Kendalls who may be listening to this show. Uh, talking to Premiere Magazine in 1999, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar said, We had long talks about her history. Roger used to always say, don't you think she was abused? And I'd say, no, I think she had a perfect upbringing. I think her mother adored her and her father sent her amazing gifts. She just wanted more. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah Michelle Gellar is extremely proud of this role. She later told Huffington Post that it was one of her two best film experiences. What would have been the other one, do you think? Maybe Scooby-Doo, because I assume that's where she met Freddie <laughs> Prince Jr.? Oh, yeah, I guess that's uh, true. Yeah, I was laugh. like, Scooby-Doo, anybody's favorite film experience? Um... Yeah, but she, I forgot she met Freddie Prinze Jr. So very cute. Uh, she said, we just knew we were making something that was so different and we were all so passionate and so excited. And we were all friends. It was just a great time making that and letting it go as far as it did. One person who was not impressed with Cruel Intentions was Buffy creator Joss Whedon, who dismissed the film as a porny. <laughs> that's not a typo. No, that's how it's what he said, I think. He said a porny. Yeah. That's weird. A grown man calling pornography a porny. That's weird and gross. Uh, At a 1999 Television Critics Association press conference, Sarah Michelle Gellar was less than pleased with this assessment, and she told Premier Magazine at the time that she said, I did what I think is my best work to date in that movie. Brushing it off by calling it a porny is unbelievably hurtful to me. He owes me flowers, and that's on the record. She, uh, you know, came out on top in 2021 when uh, Charisma Carpenter from Buffy made allegations of abuse against Joss Whedon. After those allegations were public, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar issued a statement saying, while I'm proud to have my name associated with Buffy Summers, I don't want to be forever associated with the name Joss Whedon. The only thing she didn't like about playing the, quote, Marsha Brady of the Upper East Side was the fake Coke that she had to snort, which was made of ground up chamomile. I did not know that. That's what they use in movies for fake uh, Coke? That's what they used on this movie, at least. Interesting. Well, she was allergic. Yeah, uh, and she said, my nose and throat had it rough for a while. Hmm. Which, sure, it's not supposed to have that kind of stuff put up in it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'll do it. 
Do you know that Buffy was produced by Dolly Parton's production company? Dolly Parton has like Do- credits on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Dolly Parton is like the Forrest Gump of, <laughs> of I mean, she semi-indirectly funded the vaccine, the the COVID vaccine. She like has just made so many different beloved things. Ah, ah, Dolly. Well, the roles of brother and sister Catherine and Sebastian were cast fairly easily. You got Ryan Phillippe and Sarah Michelle Gellar, but the search for the headmaster's sweet virginal daughter was a bit trickier. The studio really wanted Katie Holmes, who was appearing as Joey on Dawson's Creek at the time, but director Roger Cumble disagreed, later telling Cosmo that the part, quote, needed someone with a little more strength of character, which, ouch. The situation reached a stalemate one night when he was hanging out with Ryan Phillippe and said, hey, what about your girlfriend? Meaning Reese Witherspoon, friend of the pod Reese Witherspoon. The couple began dating in 1997 when Phillippe crashed Witherspoon's 21st birthday party. Now, Reese was a rising star at this point, having already made Pleasantville and Fear, and plus he also had the real-life chemistry with her boyfriend, so it seemed like a good fit. But Witherspoon required some convincing to take the role, because she felt like Annette was just a typical, boring, you know, in quotes, good girl, aka too close to some of the roles she'd played in the past. So director Roger Cumble took Reese and Ryan to Le Petit Bistro, which was this fancy French place that was an industry staple in L.A. at the time, and proceeded to literally wine and dine her. <laughs> Roger Cumble told Cosmo in 2014, so basically we took Reese out to dinner to get her drunk, and we ended up getting her drunk, and I literally got down on my knees and begged her, please, it'll be 15 days, you'll be great. Not especially dignified, but it did the trick, though she had some terms. Reese agreed to take the part, but insisted on tweaking the character so she was stronger. And if you remember Michelle Pfeiffer's character in Dangerous Liaisons, Madame de Tourvel, uh, her entire personality was essentially being as pure as the driven snow. I mean, there was not really much else there. Roger Cumble later said, Reese and I got together and we gave Annette more bite so she wasn't a doormat, as opposed to her, you know, corresponding character in Dangerous Liaisons. And I'm very grateful to her for that, Cumble said. So that's why Katie Holmes didn't make it into Cruel Intentions, but there is another Dawson's Creek veteran Joshua Jackson appeared in the film as Blaine Tuttle, Sebastian's partner in crime, the kid with the truly awful Frosted Tips dye job. I'm waiting for the Zoomers to pick up Frosted Tips, man. Yeah, that's, I mean, we got Jenkins. They're grabbing everything else yeah. from the late, they're grabbing mm-hmm. everything else from the late 90s. Come on. Yep, yep. You guys gotta, you wanna go whole hog on this, you commit. Mm-hmm. You get the Frosted Tips. There's also a pre-American Pie Tara Reed in the film. She's Marcy Greenbaum, who calls her psychiatrist mother after Sebastian leaks nude photos of her. Uh... But Reese Witherspoon wasn't the only cast member who needed convincing to sign on to Cruel Intentions. Christine Baranski, who played Cecile's strict mother, Bunny Caldwell, said that she was going to pass on the role. Once again, Roger Cumble got down on his knees, though perhaps not literally this time. Baranski later told the LA Times, I had to be talked into doing that one. It was going to be shot during my first year hiatus from the TV show Sybil. Sybil Shepherd, and I was anxious to go home and be with my kids. The director begged and begged me and said, it's only a few scenes. I think she only had to work for like three days. And also her daughters were massive Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans. So when they found out Sarah Michelle Gellar was involved, they pestered their mother to take the role. And it ended up paying off artistically and financially. <laughs> she said, I'm still making residual money off Cruel Intentions. It might be the movie that's <laughs> maybe the most in residuals because it's such a hit. I didn't do much in that movie. And yet people will come up to me and quote my lines. Which is not bad for three days' work. And speaking of the Caldwell family, we have to talk about Cecile, the true standout 
in a film packed with memorable characters. She was played, of course, in inimitable fashion by Selma Blair. And Selma Blair showed up to the audition basically ready to tape. Cumble uh, Toad Cosmo, it was the smartest audition I've ever seen in my career. For legal reasons, he had to ask all of the actors auditioning for the role how old they were because there is a graphic sex scene with Sebastian in the movie, and the character is supposed to be 15. Cumble uh, said, so we were bringing in all these people, and they were all good, but I remember Selma came in, and I said, how old are you? And she goes, in Cecile's bratty voice, how old are you? <laughs> well, that impression was incredible. Thank you for that. <laughs> And she was so obnoxious, and I couldn't get it out of my head. Um, and then this is now this is, of course, where we get into the classic 90s trope of having people in their 20s play high schoolers. Selma plays one of the youngest characters in the movie. As a 15-year-old, she was one of the oldest actors in the main cast. She turned 26 during the shoot. Sean Patrick Thomas, who played her love interest, was 30. He looks it. Yeah, he does. He looks kind of rough. Uh, Ryan Phillippe was 25, Reese Witherspoon was 23, and Sarah Michelle Gellar, the youngest of the bunch, was only 22 years old. So she was conceivably within spitting distance of being a teen. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Too Much Information in just a moment. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Another important character in the film is, of course, Sebastian's car, which is plays a central role in the famous bet. It is a 1956 Jaguar XK140 Roadster, or at least that is what they would have you believe. But it's actually a replica built by a company called Cinema Cars, which builds replicas of these super expensive collectible cars that would not otherwise be loaned out to film shoots. For example... Cameron's dad's Ferrari in Ferris Bueller's Day Off was a replica built by this company on a Corvette chassis. Not totally sure um, if it was built by this company, but these types of companies, which I, I didn't realize existed until researching this. And I'm an old hmm. car buff guy. I had no idea. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, Sebastian's Jag regularly retails for upwards of a hundred grand. Damn. So rather than uh, risk it, they went with the dummy. 
Speaking of the set direction and production design of this movie, it's all so well done. Uh I mean, the uh, costume designer, Denise Wingate, in an interview with Dazed, talked about putting Selma Blair in that red hoodie when she goes to uh, leave to see Sebastian, thus making her look like, quote, a contemporary little red riding hood going to see the big bad wolf. Wingate also wanted Catherine and Sebastian's wardrobe to basically play up the darkness of their characters, which is why they're often dressed in black, whereas Annette is usually dressed in these brighter, more angelic colors, Um, (laughs) saying, when he gets hit by a car and sees her, it's almost as if she's an angel. Mm -hmm. At the time, Ryan Phillippe said this dichotomy very much mirrored their own personalities. He said, there's a definite balance there. Reese is a happy, lighthearted person, but she's also incredibly intelligent. I tend to be considerably darker. She keeps me from getting too dark and depressed, and that's essential in a business that's based on uncertainty and insecurity. This darkness was also played up in the literal sets of the film. Designer John Gary Steele ensured that all of the locations that they were allowed to paint were painted in dark colors. This is because he said, I see the movie as very much a tragedy. Since we were using a young cast, I didn't want it to feel like a young, bright teen film because it's not. It's very tragic. Everyone basically loses. <laughs> I'd just like to pause for a moment and reflect on just how dark this movie actually is. Just really savor it. The director tells this funny <laughs> story of Ryan Phillippe coming up to him at one point during the shoot and saying, when you really break down this movie, it's really about me wanting to have anal sex with my sister. <laughs> and Roger Cumble said, well, yeah, that's, yeah. that's an interesting way of looking at it. Never thought about that, but uh, yeah, sure. Like some good textual analysis, Ryan. Thank you for that. Um, because Roger Cumble had more of a background in comedy, he was able to temper the darkness slightly with jokes to make it more palatable. But he later described the way that Sarah Michelle Geller could just deliver these devastating lines. He said she didn't even have to lean into the dialogue. The dialogue carried the weight so she could say the most horrible things as if she was just ordering food. <laughs> <laughs> a great way to describe it. Amazing. Uh, the German version of Cruel Intentions is called Eiskalte Engel. Thank you. Yes. Which translates to <laughs> ice cold angels, which rules. Um, yeah. yeah, there's uh, sex of basically every permutation in this movie. There's men and women, men and men, women and women, brothers and sisters. Uh, did I miss anything? <laughs> <laughs> no dogs. Well, okay, that's good. You'd be forgiven for thinking that the sexual tension on the set of this movie could be unbearable, but Joshua Jackson told Entertainment Weekly that the vibe was, quote, playful. And that was nice, because my first day was doing this scene where I'm giving a blowjob. And I was diving into the deep end, he said. And there was one scene from the film that was ultimately cut, where Sebastian is on the phone with Annette, and to emphasize the difference between her sweetness and his debauched lifestyle, in the background when he's on the phone are two naked cheerleaders oiling themselves up while he speaks to Annette. And according to Roger Cumble, this was just, quote, to show what a cad he was at that stage. And for that, I wanted to see some gratuitous nudity. But I didn't want some girl crying in her trailer about having to get naked. My parents didn't raise me that way, he said. I didn't want to force anybody. So I was like, I know, I'll hire an adult film star. They have no problem with that. So Cumble hired a woman named Alicia Kloss, whom he considered, quote, the biggest star in adult films in the late 90s. And she was hired to play the aforementioned naked cheerleader. However, rather than having a performer who was uncomfortable with being naked, Alicia Kloss was perhaps a little too comfortable. Cumble recalls customer Denise Wingate coming into his office one day and saying, 
uh, we got a problem. The women on the set have a problem. And he's like, well, what? What's going on? She said, your actor's at catering and she's wearing just a fishnet, whatever, body skirt <laughs> and basically flashing all of us. And Cumble said, so it was like a no good deed situation where I just didn't want to force an actor to go topless in a scene. I got the one person with no inhibitions. And now I'm like the pig in front of all the women on the crew. Ultimately, it was all for naught and the scene was cut because it tested poorly and just seemed a little too gratuitous. But Cumble said that she was extremely sweet, Alicia Klaus, and even brought some of her DVDs as gifts for some of the grips. Just <laughs> very nice. I just want to read a section from her Wikipedia page here, which is, uh, class began starring in pornographic movies around 1997, becoming the best known collaborator of director Seymour Butts, no. aka Adam Glasser, to whom she was once engaged. Class had a tattoo on her rear reading Seymour Butts. However, following an acrimonious breakup in 2000, she since had it covered with a dolphin. <laughs> Does a bit Affleck have a dolphin on his back too? No, he is the phoenix. Oh, yeah. He's the full-back tattoo of the phoenix. (laughs) Uh, But without question, the most memorable, impactful, Mm. what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever the case, the scene that will forever live in infamy is the scene where Sarah Michelle Gellar's character is giving young Cecile, played by Selma Blair, kissing lessons in the middle of Central Park. Uh, adorably, Selma Blair admitted to feeling deeply nervous before the shoot. She said, I'd never kissed a girl before. I remember I was like, what if I'm a really horrible kisser? Apparently, she had nothing to worry about because Sarah Michelle Gellar was extremely complimentary in interviews over the years, saying, all I remember was thinking, I could kiss Selma all day, she told Entertainment Weekly. Her skin was so soft. My skin is really sensitive, so when I kiss on camera a lot, it gets raw. In that entertainment in that entertainment weekly thing, there's a great line where Summer Blair says that her mom, when she saw the uh the scene for the first time, she told Selma, Honestly, Selma, did you have to use so much tongue? That poor Sarah, she looks so delicate, and then you just have that Goliath in her mouth. <laughs> that was her Selma Blair's mom. <laughs> so poor poor Selma's nerves weren't helped by the fact that they shot this scene on the very last day of filming so the anticipation had been building uh, I think the film shoot went from June 9th to July 15th 1998 so if anyone has a time machine and wants to go to Central Park there you go now you know the day uh, and there were hundreds of extras and photographers around and, and it ended up making tabloid headlines the following week and she said we saw headlines that said something like Sarah spends a day in Central Park with a friend Selma remembered I guess they all had their telescopic lenses ready that day and the scene is I can't believe I'm about to say this the scene is memorable because of a bit of uh, spittle that appears as they pull away from one another Initially, one of the DPs was pushing to shoot the scene again, but Roger Cumble held fast for his art. He said, I forgot who, but someone said, we need to go again. There's saliva connecting them. (laughs) Something I've never said out loud. (laughs) And our cinematographer said, no, it's beautiful. And I was like, no, it's hot. I mean, we'll go again, but I think it's cool. So it was a happy accident, and it's kind of been remembered for that. There's something about all these dudes watching these two young women kiss in a park and being like... Yeah, um, go again. It's good. Go again. (laughs) Uh, One more time. But Geller and Blair won the Best Kiss Award at the 2000 MTV Movie Awards for that scene, (laughs) beating out such heavy hitters as Hilary Swank and Chloe Sevigny in Boys Don't Cry, Drew Barrymore and Michael Vertan in Never Been Kissed, 
and Katie Holmes and Barry Watson in Teaching Mrs. Tingle. <laughs> Poor Katie Holmes and Cruel Intentions, always a bridesmaid. <laughs> Didn't get the role. Not they wouldn't beaten, let yeah. her. They wouldn't let her live. No. <laughs> Someone with more force of character. What a brutal thing to say about not casting an actress. Damn. But Selma Blair and Sarah Michelle Gellar have remained close in the 20 plus years since making Cruel Intentions, which I really like. They frequently post girl crush photos and TBTs of each other. Girl crush being their words, not mine. Not long after Selma revealed her MS diagnosis, she posted a very sweet tribute to Sarah Michelle Gellar for supporting her, calling her, quote, an angel of a friend, which I think is really nice. She wrote, this girl, always my girl, is everything. She tucked me in and brought me dinner and loved me up. I woke up with so much love for Sarah Michelle Gellar. Since the day I met her over 20 years ago, she fought for me along with Roger Cumble to be Cecile. She took me under her wing and today is no different. I'm so in love with my angel of a friend, the best, even threw me my baby shower and is there for me every step of the way. May we all have a friend like this. I love you, Sarah Michelle Gellar and my whole team of lovelies. I count my blessings. Aww. Speaking of bodily fluids, we, <laughs> we, where, there's, where there's smoke, there's fire and where there's spit, there's vomit. Yes, Reese Witherspoon. No, (laughs) Reese Witherspoon made her then boyfriend Ryan Philby throw up after a particularly intense scene. How do you feel about that? I don't know anything about Ryan Philby, but he's got that like Tom Brady energy to me. So that like when bad things happen to him, I'm I'm all in. (laughs) He's just too pretty. He's got that that yelly, you know, (laughs) roofing people face. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Sebastian has fallen in love with Annette, who is the subject of the bet, and he's basically no longer interested in Catherine, who, you know, the aforementioned, you can put it anywhere. His stepsister, Uh, it's important to to reiterate. Yep, the only reason for taking the bet in the first place. Catherine forces Sebastian to break up with Annette, which leads to a heated argument between the two of them, during which Annette slaps him across the face. This was not planned. Ryan later told The Morning Call in 1999, at one point I was improvising off camera for Reese. I guess I said some pretty mean things, so she came over and slapped me. Roger loved it so much he incorporated it into the scene, so I basically got slapped around for a couple of hours. This scene was Been there, my dude. (laughs) This scene was not, yeah, try working in digital media. Uh, This scene was not easy for either actor, considering they were dating at the time, but, uh, it took take after take after take. And Roger Crumble said, you know, I want to be professional, but until like, I feel like we have it, you just have to go as a director. You're like, I'm not going to be the most liked person today. (laughs) He said, I don't think we did too many takes, but you know, you get what you need to get. You really want to see him ripping his heart out. (laughs) So Ryan says they shot this for four straight hours and he, uh, left the set, went outside and vomited. He said it was so emotionally punishing for me that he went outside and literally threw up. So good for him. (laughs) As is so often the case in life, let us go from the breakup scene to the sex scene. (laughs) One of many in this movie, but it's the one that everybody probably remembers the most. Between Ryan Phillippe and Reese Witherspoon, it's scored by Counting Crow's haunting song, Colorblind. And that song has become so identified with that scene, to me at least, that it's difficult to imagine anything else in there for the soundtrack. But Colorblind very nearly was not used in Cruel Intentions. Director Roger Cumble said that he wanted the scene to be beautiful and not exploitative. He compared it to a love scene in Robert Altman's The Player with Tim Robbins and Greta Scatchy? Scotchy? Shotchy? And Greta Scatchy. With Scotchy. Tim Robbins. With just Tim <laughs> Robbins in it. 
Uh, in that Cosmo interview, Roger Cumble's a funny line about doing these kinds of scenes. He said, what I do in situations like that and anything I'm working on is I just drop the pretensions of the job and go, okay, let's deal with the elephant in the room. I'm about to film a sex scene with you and I feel weird. And then usually the actors are like, no, 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 we get it. It's weird. And then I go, how do I make it less weird? Let's all be on the same page. So that's nice. Now, over the years, there's been a great deal of speculation as to whether Reese and Ryan were actually having sex on camera for real, since they were together in real life, and people have no chill in their imaginations. <laughs> Director Roger Cumble, however, has confirmed that the sex was simulated. The actors were not even fully naked when filming the scene, since in the scene, each one's only visible from the waist up. But the intensity of the scene is definitely heightened by the song Colorblind. But... Amazingly, as I said earlier, that was not the song that was originally supposed to be in there. Cumble wanted to use the song To Sheila by the Smashing Pumpkins. That was very much in his head the whole time. In fact, he says he wrote the scene while listening to that song on repeat. But sadly, Billy Corgan and the band turned him down. And this occurred fairly late in the production, so the team had to really scramble to find a replacement track for the sex scene. And Cumble wanted a track initially by Neil Finn of Crowded House fame. Don't dream it's over, Crowded House? Yeah. I, huh. I, yeah, but the studio were not into the idea, so they kind of found themselves at a creative standstill until Adam Durrett swooped in and saved the day. Apparently, he saw an early cut of the movie and loved it, and according to Cumble, at least, wrote the song almost immediately after and sent a demo to the production team. And Cumble and producer Neil Moritz went to the house that Counting Crows were renting and watched them record Colorblind a couple days later, and that became a standout cut on the soundtrack. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, uh, Adam Duritz or whoever is running the Counting Crows Twitter confirmed that. I was just looking that up. So That is, now, I, that is a good, uh, like, for a band that I tend to You love up, Counting Crows, don't you even? You, you talk about Counting Crows... When like, have you I, like hang you like hanging around a lot? I I I I wrote a, a a treatment for a script making fun of that song. <laughs> really? Why did you keep trying to get us to cover it then? Because I thought it was I thought it was a funny thing to cover. I just thought and I also thought you'd do a good job of it. And it what was about, a fun uh, song to play about, on bass. Uh, what about, what about, maybe I like counting crows. I think, yeah, about, I think uh, yeah. round here. Always stay up late. Remember I mean, that song? Yeah. Remember around here? I think there's, I probably like more songs by them than I realize, but. Round but here. Colorblind is like, that's got a punch to it. That song's devastating. I, I had a here. roommate in college. We each had our own bedrooms, but we shared the kitchen common area. And he had a literal CD mix that was his sex mix. And it opened with Colorblind. And so whenever mm. I heard that song start, I still to this day have a Pavlovian response of like, oh. Gotta get my white noise machine. <laughs> well, so you put like uh, "Playground Love" by Air. Oh, gee, you know what? Actually, tell you what, that might have been on there too. Definitely yeah, something same, from the Virgin Suicide soundtrack. Yeah, same era. I, mean, I just but had big cannot... band stuff on mine. Or just, uh, just the, brings a whole new meaning the, to in the mood. <laughs> it's just the Chips Ahoy theme. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? As you meditate on that, we'll be right back with more too much information after these messages. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. You cannot talk about the music in Cruel Intentions without talking about the elephant in the room, and that is Bittersweet Symphony. Obviously not written specifically for the film, but it plays during the climax of the movie (laughs) as Annette gets revenge over Catherine following Sebastian's death and then cruises off in his jag with his journal by her side. But the song very nearly did not make it into the movie because everything about it is a Kafka-esque bureaucratic nightmare. Mm. Kumpel said that he wrote the scene to the music without getting the rights first, which you said is a big no-no. Yeah, in screenwriting school, they tell you never put songs in scripts because all that the people reading it will do is just see a bunch of like dollar signs that they don't want to spend. Yeah, never do that. Yeah, Moritz uh, told in Entertainment Weekly that song cost close to a million dollars, which was a tenth of the budget. <laughs> they tried like hundreds of other songs and they just said nothing else worked, so they ponied up for it. That's insane. They spent a tenth of the budget on that song. Cumble told Cosmo it just fit amazingly. The strings hitting as she's breaking down on the podium and then you cut outside right when the song kicks in. Just accomplished everything. And he says, so we're like, oh, let's get the rights from the Verve. But then you find out the Verve doesn't own the rights. The Rolling Stones own the rights. So it was a headache. It was one of those things where the studio was like, try another song. And we kept trying and trying and no one could agree. And the studio was like, let's just pay for it. We paid for everything, but we really paid for that one. So the story behind Bittersweet Symphony is that it is based on a sample from a 1965 version of the Rolling Stones song, The Last Time, by the Andrew Oldham Orchestra. That was the Stones' manager at the time, back in the 60s. That was his side project. He basically got a bunch of session musicians, including members of the Rolling Stones, in to, uh, you know, record different versions of these songs. It's like an easy listening album. It's really weird. I, I like it, but I'm also 83 years old. (laughs) Well, so apparently they obtained the rights to use that sample from the copyright holder Decca Records, but they were denied permission from the Rolling Stones ex-manager Alan Klein. So they ended up forfeiting all royalties from that song, which was a hit. A huge hit. Their biggest American hit. That and the drugs don't work. Yep. 
forfeited all royalties from it to uh, the Rolling Stone. What, what do who do they forfeit them to? Because I know Jagger and Richards were added to the credits, but I think the Stones got the money for it for twenty. I think they gave it back recently, like in the last couple of years, I believe. I'm just doing this from memory. But. Yes. No. No. Yeah. Ashcroft got a thousand dollars from it following the settlement. Oh, good. But uh, no, the rights did revert back to him. This was in 2019. So he's back to making money on it. 25 years later. Good Lord. Yeah. And I guess admirably Jagger and Richards were like, man, we don't really need the money. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. That's the story of Bittersweet. It was indeed a Bittersweet bittersweet Symphony. (laughs) (laughs) Just writes itself. Well, speaking of the ending of Cruel Intentions, which is perfect and satisfying and surprising, it could have been different. Although, sort of only slightly. You remember that Sebastian is having a fist fight with Ronald, Cecile's boyfriend, because Catherine told Ronald that Sebastian had an affair with Cecile. And in the actual ending, Annette runs over to the pair as they're fighting and having a tussle on the sidewalk in Central Park, tries to pull them off one another, but then she tumbles into oncoming traffic and Sebastian valiantly pushes her out of the way, gets struck by a cab leading to his death. In an earlier version, he dies in a kind of less gallant manner. He's in the middle of his fight with Ronald, and then he sees Annette approaching and crosses the street to greet her when he is struck by a cab as he's sort of eagerly running across the street to see her. Very mean girls. Mm. Very like when Regina gets hit by the bus, yeah. More interesting to me is that another early draft of the script involved an ending with Annette. Instead of publishing Sebastian's journal to embarrass and expose Catherine in front of the entire school, she simply uses it to blackmail Catherine privately. You know how they have that scene where they meet up in the bathroom right before she gives the the eulogy for her stepbrother? Mm -hmm. I would imagine in there she probably, like, you know, confronts her with what she knows. And But... Not as cinematic, not as big of you know, the whole student body holding this, you know, purloined, scandalous burn book of a diary. <laughs> uh, not as dramatic. So they went with this new ending that we now know and love. Uh, Cruel Intentions, speaking of which, is such a fantastic title. That's the name of Sebastian's journal when it's published and distributed around the school. But the name Cruel Intentions was something of a last minute change up. A few years back, Sarah Michelle Gellar posted a photo to Instagram from the kickoff dinner for the movie back in 1998. And in the caption, she said that the original title for the movie was actually Cruel Inventions. Hmm. And apparently this was changed because Cruel Inventions didn't test well with audiences because I guess people thought it sounded more like a science fiction film Hmm. instead of whatever you want to call Cruel Intentions comedy drama. Yeah. Do you think of it as more of a comedy or more of a drama? (sighs) Drama. Mm, okay, yeah. Or a black comedy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Cruel Intentions, not Cruel Inventions, was released on March 5th, 1999, which actually surprises me because it seems like such a summer movie. But critics uh, felt kind of weird about it. Stephen Holden of the New York Times wrote, You have the queasy sense that the whole thing is just an elaborate stunt, and in this case, an exploitative one. And this sentiment was echoed by Charles Taylor of Salon.com, who described the movie as, quote, the dirtiest-minded American movie in recent memory. Mm. It wasn't wrong. No. I mean, this is pretty scandalous to be, like, you know. Yeah. I mean, naturally, for this very reason, everyone wanted to see it. It's sexy, but it's also taboo, perverse, irreverent. 
It was given a hard R rating, which led to a rash of minors trying to sneak in the theaters to see it. Roger Cumble says that he remembers seeing signs in theaters saying, no one under 17, especially for cruel intentions. <laughs> I should have taken a photo of it, he later laughed. And given all the buzz, the movie was a financial success, taking in $76.3 million worldwide against a $10.5 million budget. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, given the success of the movie, Roger Cumble was approached by Fox in 1999 television uh, about the idea of developing a TV show based on the movie. They came up with a prequel called Manchester Prep, named after the private school the characters attend. It was going to begin with Sebastian and Catherine meeting for the first time after their parents got married. A younger version of Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, Catherine, was played by Amy Adams, first starring role for the six-time Oscar-nominated actress, which is a, a hell of a bow, hell of a debut. Cumble was given free reign to be uh, about as boundary pushing with this proposed show as the film version until they saw the dailies. <laughs> um, you know, the Columbine massacre had occurred uh, just six weeks after Cruel Intentions came out. So having all of this violence directed at children in a classroom did not uh, age well. And the network may have underestimated just how twisted these plots would be when compared to what was then standard primetime fare. Network Brass saw a rough cut of the third episode in which a teenage girl uh, achieves um, uh, satisfaction while riding a horse. <laughs> Speaking of the Rolling Stones. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, that is when the network demanded an emergency reworking of the show. And uh, <laughs> Cigar chopping executive. <laughs> Horses are for killing, not for sex scenes. <laughs> what did you learn from never-ending story? <laughs> we blow up horses in this, in this industry. We don't deflower them. <laughs> um, Will I keep that? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and that is when the media swooped in. Uh, Cumble later told The Telegraph, Entertainment Tonight grabbed our B-roll and did an expose on us before we aired called Has TV Gone Too Far? He said, from what I understood, Rupert Murdoch's wife or somebody like that saw the thing and we were off the network the next day before we ever aired. So that is the leads us to the unfortunate second life of this. Uh, they tried to make lemonade out of their lemons and recut the three episodes that they'd filmed into a 90-minute movie. And taking comparative freedom of the film versus network television sets of standards, they added a bunch of nude scenes and released it direct-to-video in 2000 to all of the fanfare that you would expect from a <laughs> direct-to-video Cruel Intentions adaptation with added sex scenes. Uh, and you just got to feel bad for Amy Adams, who thought she'd scored a lead role in a hotly anticipated primetime drama and wound up in a glorified skin flick heading straight to... Uh, Straight to the bargain bin of a Walmart. Walmart wouldn't carry that. Yeah, you're right. Straight to the ball of your a gas station. I was to say your Texaco. Cumble later told Telegraph it was her first job out in Hollywood. I'm sure she's not pleased about that, but she's always nice when I run into her. <laughs> but Amy Adams can take some small solace from the fact that she at least was not in Cruel Intentions three. <laughs> Which doesn't even have any of the same characters as the original movie. It focuses on Catherine's cousin. I tried to look up Cruel Attentions 3 to see if there was anything noteworthy about it. No. People just list the cast and crew. There, no one has written a word one about this movie. It is amazing. Scrubbed from the internet. Yeah. <laughs> 
And this was pretty much the end of it until 2015, when NBC announced that they were launching a new TV show that picked up where the original Cruel Intentions movie left off and would follow the adventures of Annette and Sebastian's child, which I'm a little confused by because Sebastian died as a high schooler. So maybe that means that he got Annette pregnant before he died. I mean, I guess that must be what it means. Uh, I think they only had sex during the colorblind sex scene. Has the phrase colorblind sex scene ever been said before? I don't know. I'm glad that's recorded. Um, But this was big news because Sarah Michelle Gellar agreed to come back to play Catherine, who is now in her mid to late 30s and vying for control of the business empire built by her late stepbrother's family, the Valmonts. And also, according to press briefings, battling for the soul of her teenage stepnephew. Which, there's not a lot about the plot of the show out there, but I personally take to mean she was trying to have an affair with her stepnephew, because they're not blood-related. If she was down to sleep with her stepbrother, stepbrother's <laughs> son, even more far removed, I I don't know. Just, just spitballing here. We're just developing. Uh, yeah, just developing. I'm not sure how far into production this got, but there were promo photos of Sarah Michelle Gellar in an expensive-looking bathtub, dressed all in black with her infamous Coke-filled crucifix. Uh, So there was a lot of excitement around that, but then the show started to disintegrate, and cast members began to depart, and ultimately NBC declined to pick up the pilot for the summer 2017 season. And Gellar later said that she was relieved since watering down the plot of Cruel Intentions for network TV seemed like kind of a shame. She told the New York Times, There was a whole crazy time. Nothing against NBC, but Cruel Intentions is straight streaming. On the first day, I was like, this isn't working. It's just not a network show. If it is a network show, it's not my Cruel Intentions. So I was actually grateful that it was not picked up. However, in the spring of 2022, it was announced that there was a new Cruel Intentions-related series in development for Amazon's free streaming services, IMDb TV. And it's set at an elite D.C. area college where, according to Deadline, after a brutal hazing incident threatens the entire Panhellenic system, Greek life, they'll do whatever is necessary to preserve their power and reputations. I imagine this is referring to Catherine and maybe Sebastian, even seduce the daughter of the vice president of the United States. <laughs> this is national treasure. Uh, yeah, good, good luck to him. I don't know. I don't even know if bringing... steal the Constitution. <laughs> I don't know if they're bringing Sebastian back for this. If he like made it so that he faked his own death. Cause uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah. But probably the most successful cruel intentions related production has been the musical by Roger Cumble, Lindsay Rosen and Jordan Ross. It had limited showings in LA and New York before beginning an off Broadway run at the Greenwich village venue, Le Poisson Rouge in November, 2017. I used to live down the street from there. And it was supposed to be a 10-week engagement, but the show was extended three times through April 2018. And Sarah Michelle Gellar had a cute little cameo. She provided the voice for a pre-recorded warning that played right before Curtain went up, warning the audience to turn off their cell phone and not take pictures. And failure to do so, she said, would result in her, quote, cyber-shaming you into oblivion. I love her so much. Feels like you glossed over the fact there's a jukebox musical focusing on the 90s, which meant you're getting stuff like No Doubt Sunday Morning bumping up against Losing My Religion and f***ing Deep Blue Something doing Breakfast Tiffany's next to No Scrubs set against the dramatic backdrop of Cruel Intentions. That's why why I didn't mention it, my friend. Why would they do that? People loved it. Oh my, well, because people are easily manipulated. My God. (laughs) Which is uh, the theme of the film. Really? Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say. 
Yeah, man, I love this movie. I touched on this at the top of the episode, but it's more than just taboo topics and a ludicrously attractive cast. It's a movie that really shows the dark side of human nature and also how it's possible to change. Director Roger Cumble later said, It's one thing to have juicy dialogue and mean teens, but it's also a tale of redemption. This guy, meaning Sebastian's soul is saved. That's why I think it resonates. That and the people are hot. <laughs> can't can't really underestimate that. I don't think anyone would want to watch a movie of our souls being saved for 90 minutes. Do you, Heigl? Isn't that the plot of just City of Angels? <laughs> In many ways, I think that's what this podcast is. Just our souls being saved for 90 minutes as we <laughs> dive deep on Goonies and Grease and Steely Tan Records. Well, Jordan... I think you did a good enough job on this. You can put it anywhere you want. No. (laughs) Shut it down. One long sensor beep (laughs) till we roll credits. Uh, Thanks for listening, folks. (laughs) This has been too much information. Way too much information this time around. I'm popping open my crucifix as we speak. (laughs) Tell them who you are. I'm Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtog. information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The supervising producer is Mike Johns. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.